There's a lot of things in this old world That just do not make sense Like why there's so few believers on the firing line While so many others sit the fence But if you want to know where the word of God stands And believe it wants to use your feet and hands It's time to take your faith out of the seats And into the streets And come along with me If you'll only look Then you will see On WCN-TV Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's WCN-TV program. This is Tuesday, November 14th, 2023. Just a quick announcement before we jump in. We do send out uh, email reminders of who will be our guest on each week's uh, program. And also, we send out um, uh, emails, blasts with... uh, five or so stories from our newspaper each week. So if you would like to be on that list and you're not, just email me. It's very easy to remember. It's Rob, R-O-B, at WisconsinChristianNews.com, and I'll get you on the list. Also, I was just realizing that we've been broadcasting now for four years. Um, Our first show was November 6, 2019. And my guest on that first show is Curtis Bowers. And Lord willing, we're going to have Curtis here again next month, um, just working on the scheduling. So anyway, we're going to be, um, we have a lot to talk about on the program today, and we will bring our guests in shortly and get into the meat of the show in just a couple minutes. But to prepare you for all that we're going to be talking about today, I'd like to show you just a short video. It's only just about two minutes or so. Now, to preface this, WCN-TV and Wisconsin Christian News is all about the truth. But the video you're about to see is all lies. And these are lies that none of us should ever forget. So let's take a look. Work. It helps you be a part of changing the world. I don't think there's anywhere else you can put your money that gives you as an immediate result as you get when you're a part of the work that we're doing here. We're not going to stop. We're not going to say no. And all of you that are doing it now make it possible for us to stay in this fight. So just go to the top (laughs) of your website right now. Just click on. Well, that's good too. Thehighway.com. There you go. That's where we win. Start with Bill. Not just protecting themselves, but reducing their transmission uh, to other people and allowing society to get back to normal. We can kind of almost see the end. We're, we're vaccinating so very fast. Our data from the CDC today suggests, um, you know, that, that vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick. Getting vaccinated and getting a booster shot when eligible can save your life and protect you and your family and friends from getting seriously ill and spreading infection. What do you think the probability is? 80%? Personally, I think it's 100%. I think that there's a reduction 
reduction in transmission. Right. Essentially, vaccines block you from getting and giving um, the virus. We have all the vaccines we need. We just need our people to take it. A, for their own protection, for the protection of their family, but also to break the chain of transmission. You want to be a dead end to the virus. So when the virus gets to you, you stop it. You don't allow it to use you as the stepping stone to the next person. Failure to get vaccinated doesn't just put you at risk. I think this is what is important. In a way, if it's not you who suffers if you don't simply, it's also other people. If you've done the right thing and gotten vaccinated, you deserve the freedom to be safe from COVID-19, to have your kids safe from COVID, to get back to the things you love. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. If enough people get vaccinated, it actually halts transmission. The people who are not getting vaccines, you don't have to listen to a minority of people who are being harmful to the greater good and who are not acting on logic, reason and science. I want everyone to be vaccinated so that they're safe and so that their families are safe and so that life can feel a little more normal again. Now we know that the vaccines work well enough that the virus stops with every vaccinated person. A vaccinated person gets exposed to the virus. The virus does not infect them. The virus cannot then use that person to go anywhere else. It cannot use a vaccinated person as a host to go get more people. That means the vaccines will get us to the end of this. Remember that, folks? I've mentioned before that I do follow the obituaries in my local newspaper. And um, there have been an increasing number of people um, dying, dying suddenly, dying unexpectedly. Last week, there were six in one week alone in my city alone. And they all were under the age of 63. I think 63 was the oldest, and they died suddenly. And if you look at their stories, they all were employed by places that probably required them to get the jab. So, something we'd best not forget. Well, anyway, joining us today is Aaron Seary. Aaron is a bulldog attorney going after the lies we just reminisced over and holding the liars accountable. I dare say that he's so courageous and unrelenting that when the three-letter so-called health agencies see him coming, they wet their pants. Also on the show today is Michael Botch. Michael organized and led a local effort to get the no-mandates resolution passed here in Marathon County, Wisconsin, and he is Aaron's number one fan. So with that, I'm going to turn things over to Michael and let him introduce Aaron for you. Michael, how are you doing? Pretty good, Rob. Thanks again for uh, having me back on your show. I was very honored when you asked if I would uh, come aboard and and lead this uh, a bit of an interview with uh, Aaron Siri, who is definitely one of my heroes. I said it in the last time I was on your show. Well, and, you introduced uh, me to Aaron, and I know this is a dream come true for you. So it absolutely <laughs> is. <laughs> So uh, Aaron's firm is uh, Siri and Glimstad, and I will use his words directly from a, a, a seminar I went to his at one point in Crystal, Minnesota. He says he's the world's largest vaccine practice that does not represent pharmaceutical companies. 
Thank God we have him out there. He's lead counsel for Informed Consent Action Network, ICANN. ICANN is the nonprofit that produces um, uh, the High Wire with Dell Big Tree every Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, which you saw that clip from. Aaron uh, is uh, responsible, along with ICANN, for knocking down the mask mandates and public transportation, reinstating religious exemptions for all branches of the military, exposing the Pfizer trial documentation that they wanted to hide for 75 years, exposing the Moderna trial documentation they wanted to hide for 23 and a half years, reinstating the Mississippi religious exemption after it being removed for 44 years, and is currently, along with ICANN, going after portions of the PREP Act that we'll kind of talk about a little later in the show. But I want to thank you, Aaron, for everything you guys that you have done, what ICANN has done. Um, as some of the people that are on here know that my son was injured by a hepatitis B vaccine 20 years ago. I've been in this fight for quite some long, for quite some long time. I also uh, have been waiting for an opportunity where we can start exposing that the, the pharmaceutical companies as to what they have been doing to everybody. So really appreciate all the fight and, and certainly all the things that you have now uncovered for us all. Um, I, I will adopt Del Bigtree's uh, assessment of you. I do believe you're going to go down in history as one of the greatest constitutional attorneys that in, certainly in this generation, if not ever. We have, a, and, and I think you said in Crystal, Minnesota, you have a lot of um, a good view of the future, optimistic, fighting in the in the court uh, uh, the in the courts in this country. You believe that we definitely have a fighting chance to make sure a lot of this goes away. So, without further ado, uh, I'd like to uh, give uh, Aaron an opportunity to to say hello. Oh, Aaron, you're muted. I think you're on mute. Aaron. Can you hear me now? Yeah, there you go. Okay, great. I said that's quite an introduction. Thank you. Uh, I usually try to set low expectations. It's always easy to rise. It's uh, <laughs> it's easy to fall from high expectations. Um, I just, if I may, we did do uh, the Air Force and the Army case, um, uh, but what other firms did, the other two branches of the military, okay. and we did have one of the cases against the mandates from the masks and transportation, um, and, and and there was a number of cases. Um, we, we, you know, uh, that, that there was a case in Miami, they actually got an injunction. Our case, we were representing 17 members of Congress and uh, didn't get the decision first, but we ended up on appeal together. Uh, we filed a brief and amicus brief there, but uh, the rest of it, I think is pretty, is pretty there. So um, in, in any event, which is good because it shows our other attorneys out there doing good work too, is what we need. We need a lot of attorneys who are uh, willing to step up and recognize that informed consent, the right to choose whether you want a medical intervention is a fundamental right. It truly is because even for, you know, all of your audience out there, uh, Rob, who loves every vaccine and loves every mask and loves stay at home orders, great. You should be able to get a vaccine every day, wear 14 masks and live in your basement because that's freedom, this America. But if you don't want it and the day comes that you, you find a medical product you don't want, the government's telling you you have to. And you can't leave your home if you don't. You can't get a job. You can't go to school. You can't go on public transportation. You'll regret the day that you didn't stand up for that right. Because at that point, it'll be too late. Right seated are rarely returned. So 
it's great there are other attorneys who recognize how important that right is and are fighting it as well, right? Fighting for the, the right to inform consent, which means you inform me, I choose other consent, and if I say no, that should be the end of the conversation. Um, mandating, coercing over that is just the, uh, the tools of thugs, bullies, dictators throughout history who can't go what they want through persuasion. Let, yeah. let me give you let me give you my personal example, Aaron. Um, my daughter is a nurse at a hospital. Well, she's still a nurse at a hospital. She was a nurse at a different hospital during this uh, mandate, and um, they were mandating. They were going to start the the mandates to get the jab, and um, they offered her. At first, now she's only, mind you, she was only probably four years out of nursing school and had student debts to pay, student loans. They offered her a $10,000 signing bonus if she would just stay for a year, but she had to get the jab. Um, meanwhile, she, had, she was in the process of putting in religious exemptions and medical exemptions because she, she has, uh, also has a medical situation that would prevent her from taking it. Um, and they would just send her back the same uh, form, email, letter, response, denying her exemptions. So she turned down the $10,000 signing bonus. They upped it to $25,000 signing bonus. All you got to do is stay for a year and get the jab. She turned that down, and they came back with a $40,000 signing bonus. All you got to do is stay for a year and, and get the jab. And she turned that down, and they fired her. <laughs> so anyway, she went uh, from that hospital to another one that actually gave her a contract saying she is exempt from that particular jab and any future uh, mandates. So that's my personal story. But my question was, why weren't there – why wasn't every – attorney in the in in the country um already equipped with a form letter that they could just fill in the name of the person in the institution and and send it out and uh collect 600 bucks from each person <laughs> you know i there were attorneys that i know personally and work with personally that wouldn't even they weren't even willing to send out a letter so um but we did everything to help my daughter through that situation. But in the end, it turned out best that she left that place. She actually had a doctor get two inches in front of her face and scream at her that she deserved to die because she wouldn't take the jab. So um, I'm, I'm very glad that she's out of there. Well, you raised a daughter with integrity and a backbone. So good job. Yeah. Um, yeah. Willing to stand up for what she believed in, what she understood, she thought was right. Obviously, we all know the, the the nonsensical nature of that mandate, given that those who are vaccinated are not uh, a dead end, as Rachel Maddow said in the clip you showed, to the virus. They can still become infected and transmit the virus. And in fact, the vaccine does appear for a limited period of time to reduce symptoms to some degree based on some of the data. So if you have less symptoms, but you're just as likely to become infected and transmit, does that make you more or less likely to transmit it? which may reflect why in most developed countries around the world with the highest vaccination rates are also the places with the highest case rates, had the most number of cases of COVID and nothing to do with whether or not they had a good tracking system. In fact, America has a very bad tracking system in terms of health data because it's not centralized. Many 
countries, including underdeveloped countries, have centralized healthcare, so they have good tracking systems. They have far less cases. In fact, the more vaccinated the population, the more cases. So it was it was nonsensical to to put your daughter through what they did, um, and and I'm, I'm glad that she uh, was able to stand up to it. On your question of why didn't every lawyer uh, stand up and do something? Well, you know the law is not um, not necessarily follow what you think is right or logical or reasonable or just or ethical or moral. The law is just a law, and um, you know and and uh, when confronted with the difficult situation, the lawyer has to use what laws and other tools are available. In the context of a private employer, which I'm assuming this is where your daughter worked, in the context of a private employer, you know, the primary law that your that your daughter would have had to lean on would have been Title VII, which is a federal law, which says that employers can't discriminate on the basis of religion in the workplace and have to provide a reasonable accommodation. And so if your daughter submitted a religious exemption, um, you know, the traditional place she would have gone it was denied would have been to an employment attorney. But most employment attorneys, I think, you, as you've maybe those are the attorneys went to, uh, many of them weren't weren't willing to represent folks who were denied. They, if they were denied for other religious reasons, right? They would have t- maybe taken the case, but many attorneys weren't. We did, in fact, we. I mean, our firm, um, uh, you know, we represented as many people we, as we could in that context. But um, you know, the law is limited. Uh, that is the primary ground for relief. And um, not a lot of lawyers know how to do those types of claims. And those that do, many of them, um, from my experience, weren't willing to take them, which is unfortunate, was unfortunate. Yeah, it certainly was. Michael? So let's, can we go down that path of the conversation related to mandates and how they actually effectively became not necessarily law, but certainly enforceable? Um, I don't know, you know, if you know laws specific to Wisconsin, but certainly the overarching side of what these mandates did and how we got ourselves into this position. How we got, how, you mean, how, how did mandates come about? Well, not so much how they came about, but how they became more enforceable, how they, you know, obviously how we had to be forced into, and I've heard you say before, is it? You never have to coerce anybody into doing that. You don't have you have to mandate something that they have to take when it's unsafe. You, and so you don't on. have to. Yeah, you don't have to mandate things that are safe and effective. Nobody has to mandate you to eat food, which is a which is a consumer product or drink, which is a consumer product or do things like uh, of that nature. Because, um, you know, uh, you just stay clear of the, of the products that you think have safety and efficacy issues. Mandates are really only necessary when the government can't persuade you on the merits. When they can't persuade you that you should do something, you should inject you or your child, for example, with this particular product. They say it's so great. They say it's so you know effective, and it's it was safe and effective. Why can't they just persuade you on the merits, right? Um, they can't because there are questions and issues on the safety and efficacy, and instead of addressing those. They resorted to the tools that this entire country was founded against. America as an institution at its core is about individual freedoms and rights. It's the idea, in my opinion, that the greater, the greater risk is always letting the government decide, ceding the power to the central authority. 
that's sure to be sure you know letting people choose individually can have its own risks sometimes but it's a far less risk overall because pre the united states of america for the most part decisions were made by a central authority a king a dictator and so forth we threw the yoke of those off of us when we when this country was founded to be sure not perfect start but better and better and better as time has gone on where that right has become either deeply enshrined and i think a big part of what made this country great individual rights right and so um uh, unfortunately um it's an authoritarian instinct really it's 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 the tool of bullies thugs dictators criminals when they can't convince you they force you to do something and that's what you saw here you know this idea of vaccine mandates you're like oh well there's always been school vaccine mandates it's not really accurate basically up until 2014 you could even for school there was a check the box exemption in 48 states Mississippi and West Virginia excluded which you could live right out you know you could go live in the border it's another state there's relatively small but until 2014 any place lived in America even for school mandates you could just check the box right and say no so it's a mandate no mandate it wasn't until California repealed the religious exemption for attending school that you really have for the first time in this country a vaccine mandate that you really couldn't avoid and followed by New York in 2019 and so forth and then the covid uh, you know they really went all out on this idea that no no we're gonna, we're here we're the government trust us we know it's best for you we're going to tell you what to do and if you don't listen we'll take away your job you can't go to school you can't participate in civil society basically what they did um i hope it was a very big eye opener and lesson for everybody out there who went through it certainly appears to have been for at least one of the parties two political parties in this country because they have uh you know firmly rejected in many ways um that government overreach you know over 20 AGs or fighting mandates over 20 states in this country have passed laws either the legislature or executive that have restricted the ability of governments in those states to require uh vaccines and other medical products yeah and and speaking of so Wisconsin for example um you know just to dig in a little bit of the statute and I don't want to get into technical parts of this cuz I'm no lawyer but some of the points that were brought up by some people that I have been talking to the Wisconsin state statute 252 for example gives those broad powers to DHS in order to force this down through the health officers in each one of these counties right and so that's how we started trying to figure out how these mandates all of a sudden became enforceable um you know Florida being similar there's there's a lot of concern or a couple of questions that I've been asked is how do we start fighting these type of statutes so that we can get them removed because even in the state of Florida which everybody believes is really free and really did better on the whole covid side of things because of the help with DeSantis really isn't necessarily true because in their statutes they can actually lock you down treat you vaccinate you in any way shape or form if they want to literally say that you're a health a public health threat so uh, there is a web there is a organization i can which um you showed earlier uh i can supports um most of our vaccine policy work but they also have a c4 i can legislate.org and if uh, you go to i can legislate.org you will see a number of model bills and if you know and you're in uh um if you're active in your state um i i highly recommend you meet with your state representatives wisconsin everywhere else in the country and um go and talk to them about this topic tell them how you feel 
it's incredible um, how many people do, don't take advantage of the fact that state representatives, state assembly people, uh, members of the state house, state uh, senate, they love it when their constituents show up because they don't often show up. So when a, you know two or three of them show up, it's like wow. And they showed up. You you know you talk to them about um, you know why this issue is important to you. You know as as you know Michael, when I gave that presentation in Minnesota. You know, I, I provide a lot of information that you can share with your legislative reps, including, for example, how just like COVID vaccine, most mandated vaccines don't prevent infection and transmission. In fact, it's categorically clear with the rest of them, uh, for the most part, on, it's on the CDC, FDA's website. You, you need just look. And so um, having that conversation, showing them some of the bills on the ICANN legislative website would be a great place to start, because the only way to secure your freedom um, is going to be through two avenues in this country. Number one, from the government. Number one, you got to have laws passed that protect you yeah. and that respect those rights. Or number two, you have courts that find that laws that are taking away your rights are unconstitutional. Like the lawsuit we did in Mississippi, where there was no religious exemption. And our argument was effectively pretty simple. It said, look, you can accommodate for a secular reason, a medical exemption, then you can accommodate for a religious reason. You have to accommodate for religious reasons if you can do so for a secular reason. And we're fortunate a federal judge agreed with that and has in, enjoined the state of Mississippi to restore a religious exemption to be, so students can attend school. And students in that state, for the first time in 40 years, are able to now go to school um, uh, with a religious exemption. Um, you know, th these children, by the way, for those out there who, who may not like that outcome, understand those children didn't evaporate when you kicked them out of school. They still lived in society. They went to playgrounds. They lived there. It's just punitive in any event. Um, so th those are the two ways you can you can assure safeguard your rights. One is reach out to your elected representatives, talk with them, educate them, show them that this is an issue that matters and where you stand on it. And two uh, is, you know, um, um, and, and this is the the other way would be through the court system, which is certainly not as easy. It's 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 not um, uh, it's a lot more narrow ground for relief. Finally, the the last way you do it is in the private sector, and the way you do it in the private sector is exactly the way Rob's daughter did it. God bless her. It is saying no. I'll take my money elsewhere. I'll take my job elsewhere. Right? Don't you know? People call our firm and say, well, my my pediatrician won't treat our child anymore because we won't vaccinate. Go to a different pediatrician. Why do you want to give that pediatrician your money anyway? I don't get it. Well, this private business doesn't wants me to have a vaccine to work here. Go to a different private business. Why, why give them your talent, your time, your energy? Find a place that shares your values and morals um, and work for them. Spend money in stores or with companies that share your values. There's a great website called Public Square. Um, that's what they call the parallel economy. It's what I'll call the freedom economy. And it's, you know, it's all, uh, it's basically businesses that share values around freedom, patronize those businesses before others. Um, and in fact, there's a, a whole convention that's happening in March in, um, in Las Vegas called the Freedom Economy Convention, geared specifically around this. It's a group of companies all coming together uh, I, I believe our firm actually might have a room, 40,000 square feet, might have a few hundred square feet, where we'll be giving talks all day there as well. Um, and uh, that's the, the solution in the private sector. It's not more government. 
It's not government telling private business what to do. We don't want that, right? Because the same way you don't want the government telling a private business they have to require a vaccine, you don't want them telling them they can't. They should just be out of the business of telling private companies what to do. The way that you should uh, um, conform private companies to share your values is look where you spend your money. So those would be my, that, those are my, that's my advice, big picture on how to safeguard your rights vis-a-vis the, -vis the government and in the private sector. And I appreciate that very much because, you know, in the state of Wisconsin, we're pretty fortunate. And I think you may know the group uh, Wisconsin United for Freedom. I know they tried to get you uh, hooked up for a, a presentation at one point in time. They're they're pretty well uh, connected with Mr. Rohde. And I think the two groups are trying to get one set up for the fall or for the springtime for you to come and, and present there. But um, we have a number of bills that are actually being are, that are in being assigned to committees as we speak. Uh, four of them, five, four or five of them that are really proactive down that path. We have a pretty decent uh, amount of representatives that want to fight this way. The interesting part, of course, is then we get to the veto conversation because we have uh, you know, a tyrannical governor at this point that doesn't allow even those these to get passed to get any any life on the other end of it. So, But I, I appreciate all of the comments, and certainly I think the most powerful one was the last one that you said was the private sector portion and just literally fighting back and just saying, we're not doing this. Right. Yeah. I'll mention one other site we'll which you're talking about it and that's red balloon. If you're looking for a job in one of these uh, companies that, you know, uh, you know, stands on the side of freedom, then a red balloon is actually a great. Um, it's basically a job board and um, uh, you know, it, that's where we advertise, for example, for attorneys for our firm. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Aaron, let's talk about the kids for a little bit here. Um, you know, I, when I was a kid, there there were a few shots that, you know, you just you just got. As I understand it now, there's like 72. Is that correct? Yeah. So leading up to 19, early 1980s, there were only three routine vaccines, two injected, DTP and MR, and one given orally, the OPV. That's all there was. Three routine shots. And a total of 11 doses. Um, by the beginning of the 1980s, all the manufacturers of those three shots either stopped making them or went out of business because of the amount of liability they were facing from the injuries caused by those products. And so Congress, in its wisdom, instead of uh, forcing you know, what every other company has to do when they make an unsafe product, what do you do? Make a better one. Make a safer one. You, you improve it. Congress, in its wisdom, um, instead of forcing them to do that, passed the National Childhood uh, Vaccine Injury Act of 1986. And that law in 1986 gave vaccine manufacturers, pharmaceutical companies, Merck, Pfizer, and so forth, immunity effectively for uh, liability for injuries caused by not only those three products that existed then, but for any future vaccine injury, uh, any future uh, childhood vaccines that were made going forward, including if the adult took the, the vaccine. So the flu shot's given to kids. So the flu shot we use for adults also has immunity. So basically, this immunity covers all vaccines for the lawyers out there, 42 USC uh, 300AA-11. You can go read the statute yourself. So um, the uh, what that did is it basically, it, it Rob, I think it, it, it ushered in what you're just reflecting on is this kind of gold rush, so to speak, into this business 
where, you know, vaccines were kind of a, a small little piece of the pharmaceutical company revenues for the companies that did it. But um, it, it, it became a, a far bigger market. Um, and it's now become a huge, a, a significant percentage of, of especially the four main vaccine manufacturers, Sanofi, Merck, GSK, and Pfizer. Um, just so your audience, and, and, and I should say there are currently 17 vaccines on the CDC childhood schedule. 14 of them are routine, and that amounts to over 70 doses. So we've gone from three vaccines, 11 doses, to 14 routine vaccines, over 70 doses since 1980s. And there's three others that are given in, in some situations in the early 1980s. So when they say vaccines saved everybody, just I understand most of the vaccines didn't even exist until after 1986. I'd also like to point out this, and this is very important. There is virtually, no, there is pretty much no other, there, let me be categorical. There is no other consumer product that I'm aware of that has anywhere near this type of protection. Planes, chainsaws, you naming, cars, knives, all the appliances out there, anything out there. You can sue the manufacturer for design defect claims, meaning they could have made the product safer and so forth. But you can't do that for childhood vaccines. The one product they swear to you, they tell you over and over, is safe. Even guns that they like to talk about have this, you can't see the manufacturer. You can, it's actually pretty narrow. What you can, the only thing you can't sue a gun manufacturer primarily for is if the gun was used in the commission of a crime or wrongful act. You could still sue the gun manufacturer for a design defect claim, saying the gun could have been made safer, for example, and so forth. But you can't sue a childhood, can't sue pharmaceutical companies for those injuries. And so, um, so yes, Rob, we've gone from, uh, you know, two injected, one oral vaccine in, leading up into the early 80s to an explosion after the immunity was given to pharmaceutical companies to the current schedule, which anybody can pull up and go on the CDC website. Well, it's interesting because I had uh, a few weeks ago, I wrote an article called This is Your Brain on Drugs and referencing the 1980s when, uh, you know, the big slogan was just say no. And it was all about saying no to, you know, street drugs, illegal drugs and that kind of thing. But it was also during that exact same time that um, pharmaceutical drugs exploded on the scene. And now today you can't turn on any type of television or look at any type of magazine or newspaper ad without seeing huge announcements and advertising for pharmaceutical drugs. Ask, the, ask your doctor if this drug is right for you. You know, um, it's everywhere now. And getting back to this COVID thing, it's my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, but they have just approved, just in, in the last couple of months, um, the latest COVID shot for children six months old and older that mm -hmm. has only been tested, as far as I understand, on 10 mice. And they approved it under an emergency use authorization. Is that correct? Yeah, and yeah. if it is, my question is, where's the emergency? I don't see people falling over in the streets. 
I don't okay. see bands coming and whisking people away because there's such an emergency, but yet they, they're pumping this into six-month-old babies, and the parents are so ignorant, they just believe the white coats. Oh, you need the shot. Got to get the shot. Well, oh, well, if we need the shot, better get the kid the shot. Six well, months old. The new, the new, the new uh, authorized COVID vaccine, I believe, has an uptake nationally. Last statistic I saw was like 2 or 3%. So people aren't taking it. And, and no, that's our choice, too. Because yeah, they're still a, What's that? still a staggering number of people, um, the kids getting pumped full of this stuff that um, is known to cause myocarditis and a, a host of other things. I don't know if that's, uh, I'm not, uh, that's nationally all ages, not just children is my understanding. Okay. All right. So uh, I actually would be very surprised if the number was even close to that when it comes to children. Um, you know, they were having a hard time getting both parents um, to give co-vaccine to their children before, you know, even, even a year ago. So I, I, with the new one, I don't, I don't think they're, um, having a lot of success, but that data is all readily available. You could take a look at it. It's, it shows you what happens when you let people choose, when you let them decide on the merits, whether they want it. Clearly the American people are rejecting getting that product. Yeah. Well, I remember that they, you know, when they, when they first came out with it, they were bribing people with, um, free lottery tickets and, uh, free hamburgers in Wisconsin. It was free beer. Um, <laughs> They had, you know, I think I and it wasn't in Ohio. They had a had a million dollar lottery um, for people taking their taking their shot. And then I remember one day Biden getting on TV and saying, "No more, Mister Nice Guy. You guys aren't taking it. Now we're now we're forcing it." You know, so you're right. And anytime they force things on you, you know it's evil. I go back to Obamacare. You know if. If it's such a wonderful plan, if you're going to get this wonderful coverage um, for less than the price of your monthly cell phone bill, people would be lining up to try to get it, and and they, you know, the demand would outweigh the uh, supply. But um, unfortunately, when Obamacare went into effect, our healthcare premium went from $500 a month to $1,800 a month. And our deductible went through the roof. <laughs> As I no, I cannot afford another mortgage on a you know on a product that I'll never use. But apparently, we're forced to do it. Otherwise, we're penalized on our taxes. And anyway, I'm going off on the rabbit trail here. <laughs> You're right. When they force it, you know, it's not a good deal. You should be very, very uh, concerned when a consumer product that they tell you is good for you, you have to take. Uh, that make you, you should you really start asking questions um, yeah. and and look under the hood. At the end of the day, I mean, you know, if something is that good for you, they should be able to you should be able to persuade people that they should be able to do it. Remember, the federal government spent billions, literally billions of dollars, trying to persuade the public to take this product. Um, billions of, of our of our tax and they still couldn't persuade the public to do it um yeah there's there's a real issue there and, and i think part of it is that unlike most vaccines where you roll it out to a small cohort of children you know you give it to babies they can't talk um you know you give it so the new vaccine you give it to a small cohort of every year you're giving another cohort 
So, you know, issues that arise slowly creep up. After 20 years, you still only have a small portion of the society that's received that product, right? Um, and so, you know, if there's um, an issue with it, it it's, not, it's not as pronounced. So, for example, but with COVID vaccines, they gave 270 million Americans that shot, like, in a very short period of time. And so the issues, and adults who can talk and speak and explain their symptoms. And so when you give that and that happens, you are, um, um, you know, it is um, a lot harder to hide, so to speak. Not, not even maliciously, by the way. I'm not even talking about like, I'm not even talking about like conspiracy. I'm just saying it doesn't fall into the background rate as easily. And so people out there, there's almost, you know, you talk to the average person, and this is anecdotal on my part, but there are some surveys that have done this. Seems like everybody knows somebody who's had some COVID vaccine injury of some form. Whether it's tinnitus, they just can't even like, they don't want to live life because they're constant ringing in their ears or they have a heart condition or they have some neuropathies of some kind. Seems like everybody appears to know at least one person um, that has had uh, some serious issues. And so that makes them skeptical and concerned about taking this product. And that's understandable because if it's so safe, those stories and those experiences should be extremely rare. I'll make the following speculation, and I, and I say it's speculation. If COVID vaccine was rolled out like many childhood vaccines, one small cohort every year, um, myocarditis and pericarditis over a 20-year period, the background rate would have slowly crept up. And after 20 years, it would have just become the new normal, potentially. And so all of a sudden, you're like, oh, we got this, you know, you know, we got this epidemic of myocarditis and pericarditis and heart issues, and you know we don't know what it is, and we have to try to figure it out. And it's you know they they're not going to trace it back to the COVID vaccine. I mean, I'm saying that's impossible. Speculating, I don't know, maybe they wouldn't have, but could have. I mean, look at so many of the issues that are plaguing children today: asthma, other uh, uh, immune system issues, neurological issues that have exploded since the early 1980s. In the early 1980s. According to CDC data, about 12% of kids had a chronic health condition. According to the most recent data, around 50% of kids have a chronic health condition. Many of those are immune, immune-mediated neurological issues. What went wrong? Why are the immune systems of our children becoming dysfunctional and causing chronic health issues during that period of time? Now, I'm not saying vaccines cause them, okay? What I am saying is that you can't show me a study that doesn't. and the studies, the smaller, there's a number of small studies that have done it, have found that kids who are completely vaccinated, um, have, uh, compared to those who are vaccinated, vaccinated children are multiple times the rate of many of the issues that kids face today. So, um, you know, um, there is, you know, for those out there who really take a close look at these products and make their own decision, and again, everybody should be free to get as many as they want, because that's freedom, make individual rights, individual choice. But uh, um, amongst those that choose to not participate in one or more of these products, according to the CDC, they're actually disproportionately highly educated. PhDs, often in the sciences and so forth, highly medical literate. They look at the clinical trial data. It's on the FDA website. Anybody out there can do it. You can go to FDA licensed vaccines. You could pull up the FDA website. It's one page with all the licensed vaccines. Click on the vaccine that you're being offered and just pull up the package insert and look at section 6.1, read the clinical trial for yourself, and then ask yourself, do you think that was sufficient? 
right? Um, and 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 that's a that's a good place to start in making an informed decision. Some parents do that and decide they don't want to do it. Some parents just say, hey, you know what? When I buy a car, I look at the warranty. Does the company stand behind that product? And I look at this thing you want to inject in my kid, or this COVID vaccine you want to inject into me. I'm going to ask the same question. What's the warranty? The company stand behind the product? I get injured. Can I sue them? No. <laughs> so some people, some people don't like that. Some people think that's great. Hmm. Okay. Some people don't think that's a good idea. Yeah. I want to give Michael some more time here, but if uh, anybody in our studio audience has a question or a comment, just raise your hand. And um, I will watch for that and bring you in as soon as we can. In the meantime, Michael. So one of the questions I got, and there's some stuff floating around for all of this DNA fragments, uh, SV40 and, and whatnot. And I can't remember, so correct me if I'm wrong. Somebody, I thought it was Stephen Kirsch that came out and said that basically this potentially puts these pharmaceutical companies in a position of liability because it wasn't in the disclosure process. How accurate is that? I'm I'm getting a little mixed messaging from different places, and I figured we might get it right from a, a really great source in yourself. I thought the package inserts were blank. Oh, they, they are. Were, when, when they were EUA, when they were emergency use authorized only, they were blank. Once they were licensed, um, then they had, you know, the typical uh, uh, content you would expect of a package insert. Okay. Um, and, and I... But you, but folks should read it. I think they're quite revealing. Mm-hmm. In any event, um, so there is, for example, a case out of Michigan, an appell, a state appellate court, that found that glass particles that were in the remdesivir, um, that claim of injuries that resulted from that, severe injuries that were claimed to result from that, um, was not. Uh, uh, covered under the PrEP Act. The PrEP Act did not give immunity to the manufacturer of Desvere for those injuries because glass particles are nothing to do with the manufacturing and should not be in the Remdesvir product. Um, um, some have analogized that to the DNA plasmids that remain intact in the final formulation of the COVID vaccine, according to some as well as what I understand are portions of the SV40 virus, that's a simian virus, this monkey virus, um, portion that my understanding is that can, if you are already infected with SV40, so, you know, in something like two to 20% of Americans are, they say, uh, and appears to have been from the oral polio vaccine used back when it first came out in the 60s. that that can potentially cause, you know, a reaction vis-a-vis that. That all said, um, there might be a shortcut to answer your question the following way, uh, which is we have brought a lawsuit now um, challenging the entire CICP, which is the compensation program set up for COVID-19 vaccines, and the immunity given to COVID vaccine manufacturers in the PrEP Act. So that lawsuit has been filed in federal court, and we are um, I have a hearing coming up. And um, you know that obviously, if we can prevail on that suit, um, then and get an injunction against the immunity, that would then you know uh, what 
it would it would arguably open the door to sue the vaccine manufacturers, though I think the vaccine manufacturers might be quite motivated to push Congress to make sure that all the COVID injury claims go into the vaccine injury compensation program, which is a different federal program. As I mentioned earlier, you can't sue vaccine manufacturers for injuries from other vaccines, but you can bring a claim in this program um, where you sue actually the secretary of the Department of Health and Services, you sue the federal health authorities and you for a claim of vaccine injury from all the from most of the other vaccines. It's a narrow program. It doesn't have you know discovery as of right. It's got lots of limitations, um, and you know pain and suffering is capped at two hundred fifty thousand. So is death. But they've paid out over four billion dollars for vaccine injuries since its inception in the late eighties, um, and you know and they will compensate certain injuries. So I, I suspect that if we're successful in striking down the immunity and the, and the the COVID vaccine injury compensation scheme, which I, I feel pretty confident will be, that I suspect they'll open up the VICP for vaccine injury claims, and that will be a forum to obtain um, uh, some compensation. Uh, Harry from Illinois has a question yes, for us. Question for comment. Comment. Is there a point at which enough finally comes out that they are forced to pull these vaccines, or is it so tied up into the government that it'll never happen? Uh, <laughs> Well, look, the FDA, under the current administration, the current folks who run the FDA, and the person who's the head of the, basically, the vaccine division, the biological division, Peter Marks, Dr. Yeah. Peter Marks, he's the person who effectively, I, I would, I would, my opinion, decided to authorize and then license, you know, obviously there's a whole system, but I think that it really happened in large part in his head. Um, you know, he's gone out there and he's promoted these products before they were even licensed. Peter Marks put videos out promoting some of these COVID vaccines, my understanding. And so he staked his own reputation and that of the FDA on these products. So it would be an incredible institutional hit for the FDA and for those their leadership if they came out and said, oh, hey, remember that product we said all you should go and get? Oopsie, we made a mistake. Unfortunately, I don't know why the FDA does this. I, I, I guess I'd probably do. But for most drug products, the FDA chooses, they say, look, based on the data we've gotten from the manufacturer, we think it's safe and effective and we license it. And that's it, they stop. So if there's a problem later, they say, oh, look, based on the data we have, we thought it was safe and effective. They don't go out pom-pom cheerleading the product. They don't go out telling the public, go get it, putting out promotional videos to go get the product on their homepage, basically having an ad for getting the COVID vaccine. But the FDA did. And by doing that, it conflicted itself from being able to then go and say, oh, oops, sorry, we were wrong. It didn't act like a regulator. It acted like the, you know, basically the advertising arm of the pharmaceutical industry. And I think that has it's conflicted. I think unless you see a complete change in the leadership at the FDA, you're never going to see this product withdrawn, I, 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 almost for certain, other than maybe something incredibly cataclysmic. And if that happens, um, um, you know, you, you might, I still think you'd have to clean house at the FDA um, in terms of the leadership before they withdraw from the market. But here's the thing. Um, uh, you know, to me, 
the government should just be out of the business entirely of, of these products. I don't even think the FDA, by the way, should be licensing or not licensing anything. I think they can give their stamp of approval and you and the public say, hey, look, I only want a, something with an FDA stamp of approval. You can choose to do that. But I don't think you should need an FDA licensure to put a product out there. I think that, you know, you should let people make their own choices. And like I said, the FDA can give its its decision. The problem, the whole problem here is once the government gets involved and it starts pushing these things, the natural result is almost always taking away people's rights. It should just be out of the business, which is why choice at the end of the day is so important. The ability to say no, even if the FDA has licensed the product. Okay, Ron uh, has a comment or question. Ron, there he is. Hey, thank you guys for uh, hosting this show, and thank you, Aaron, for uh, you know being on the show and interviewed by Michael. Um, Stacy and I were uh, on the board or on the board right now that passed the resolution to uh, not allow mandates in Marathon County, um, and I think that uh, I'd like some clarification on the power of that that resolution um i know that and i'm trying to figure out the words that that i want to say here that it's a message to our state legislature to say that in marathon county we don't support any mandates uh for covid or mask wearing or anything like that but does it hold any teeth uh to stop mandates um, so I, uh, you know, I don't know the nature of the resolution per se in the county level, but obviously, even if the county adopts a resolution that prevents mandates at the county level, which is great, it doesn't prevent mandates at the state level. The state could override typically the county level, um, uh, you know, prohibition on mandates. That and was a question that I was going to bring up too. I don't want to interrupt you, Aaron, but as long as you're answering, maybe you can combine my question with Ron's. Um, so what happens when the UN or the WHO pandemic treaty or accord or whatever they decide they want to call it is passed by 194 countries? <laughs> what happens to our local uh, authorities? So, um, uh, so uh, if there is a if there is a treaty that's passed, you know, the treaties themselves don't become law in America. They have to be incorporated into the United States Code and become part of the actual federal laws in the United States. Um, the, uh, um, to the extent that the, there is an incorporation of any type of actual laws, you know, we'll know about it, we'll, we'll see it. Um, I'm not aware of any of those uh, depriving localities, either local governments or state governments, of their ability to make their own decisions. In fact, the United States, that is definitely one of the things that you know of the various areas that were carved out for the states, health, departments of health was really a state issue. Has always been a state issue, and has kind of remained as such. Even you know, for the most part, even though unfortunately most of the folks, most states follow the CDC like it's you know, uh, like it's the Bible. They are recommendations. The CDC vaccine schedule is just a recommendation. It's not a mandate. It's states that pass laws that then will, let's say, mandate one or more vaccines for schools. So with that said, um, uh, let me put it this way. There is what the law provides, and then there's who's going to enforce it. There are no UN peacekeepers coming to the U.S., I don't think, anytime soon. And, and then taking it back to the local level, 
um, you know, in, 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 uh, um, in some states, even though there was a state mandate, for example, to wear masks, in various counties, the sheriff, which is, you know, the highest state off, is, is, is elected to enforce the law in that county. A lot of places around the country, the, state, the county sheriff said, no, we're not enforcing it. And that was it. So unless the governor was going was gonna to bring in state troopers into that county, it wasn't going to be enforced. And that was true in a lot of places around the country. And so local politics are important. Who you elect as your sheriff, depending on how it's structured, can be very important. Um, your local county boards are, are important. Obviously, if the county passes that resolution, it sends a strong signal, certainly to those who are elected representatives within that county at the state level, where that county stands. So it's all very super important, um, you know, if, if, if uh, um, to get counties to, to do that, um, uh, as well as, you know, uh, become part of local governments. People complain about, well, my school's doing this, my local health department's doing that run to be on your to you know be the the head of your your county government or to be on your school board if you have the time if you have the ability to do it um or at least support folks who are like-minded you know there was one county in in texas where they had the most draconian mass mandates and a group of parents got together and they took over every seat of the board basically <laughs> basically banned masks in school for into perpetuity so <laughs> Um, a lot can happen at the local level, um, either because you can affect laws or you can you can have uh, the power structure in place that effectively make, renders the law a nullity. Michael, we're down to about a minute here. I'm going to give you the last question. Oh, you're muted. You're muted. Sorry, can you back up a little bit on the sheriff uh, note in relation to the state troopers? Because... The way we've understand it and the way I've been educated more recently is there isn't another state authority that can overpower actually the county sheriff, unless that's a misunderstanding at this point. It, it depends on the state. So it just depends on the No, no. The county sheriff is not like the omnipresent. I, I know there's some stuff out there. They're not like yeah. some omnipresent, uh, you know, authority figure. Uh, they're just oftentimes in many, it depends on the state, they will be the head law enforcement of that county. And if they say they will not enforce a state mass mandate because they find it's unconstitutional, they're elected, they say that, then it's not enforced. Right. Unless the governor wants to bring in, let's say, state troopers, right? State unelected, like, you know, at the state level, there's often a police force of some kind. You know, to come, but but I've never seen that happen, and I doubt they they would um, want to set up such a contentious environment. The other thing is that, you know, in various counties, there are people who uh, are able to, um, you know, to, to be able to exert their own um, their own. Um, the sheriff has a greater respect for individuals and their individual rights and freedoms in in in, in certain places. Yeah. Uh, because they they you know they live far off the grid let's just say or they're maybe they're not so next to the police and they have their own means of protecting themselves and they've and and they've come to trust you know the people in their community to defend themselves and so forth and they'll have a greater respect for those individuals 
and are not going to go and, and nanny state them um, and do things that they believe violate the Constitution just because the governor said so. Yeah. Well, uh, Rob, right. I want to thank you very much for allowing me to be part of this. I want to thank Aaron Siri for all that he's done. There's a lot of other attorneys in the world that, uh, like he mentioned, that are fighting a lot of these different parts. They all need funding. Everybody needs funding. Obviously, if you watch the high wire, it's constantly that that same, we need help, we need money, we need to be able to fight these. And Aaron and I can, they need the money in order to make our lives a lot better. And this is the best way we can fight. So please, if well, we I can wanna, uh, yeah, go well, at I, it. I want to thank you too, Aaron, for being with us. Um, it, it's been uh, an honor and uh, and a privilege. You can find out more about Aaron at Siri, S-I-R-I-L-L-P.com. And also check out ICanDecide.org, ICanDecide.org. Okay, so next week I'll be back with an extremely important program. We'll be talking with two men who live near Lahaina on Maui in Hawaii. And so you'll get to hear firsthand what happened on August 8th. Um, You'll hear about the immediate aftermath, the federal government's response, and what's going on right now in Lahaina. This is a story that has quickly cycled out of the mainstream media, but we must never forget, and we're not going to, so we're going to be covering that next week. We'll see you then. God bless. Bye.